Our scripture text today is from 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. So would you go there to 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is part four in our teaching series on personal renewal. It's called Get Out of That Rut because we're talking about getting out of common spiritual ruts we find ourselves in in our relationship with God. In week one, we talked about getting out of the rut of a cold heart or having diminished love for God. Week two, we talked about the rut of being distant from God. Last week, we talked about the rut of prayerlessness and renewing our our prayer connection with God and our relationship with Him. Now today, for the fourth message in our series, we're talking about the rut of secret sins. Get out of the rut of secret sins. That's what we're talking about today. What do I mean by secret sins? Well, by secret sins, I'm talking about uh, sins that uh, you've committed or maybe are committing or have committed recently that you're trying to hide and that you don't want anybody to know about. At least you don't want certain people to know about it. These are sins you've, you've never dealt with biblically, but you are trying to keep hidden. You're trying to keep secret. Now, this is a common spiritual problem. It's a, it's a uh, spiritual rut we see many times in the Bible. The Apostle Paul referred to it in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 24 when he said this. He said, the sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. Right, So there's, there's some people's sins that are just open and obvious. They're conspicuous. It's like somebody wearing a Sens jersey to a Leafs game, right? It stands out. You can, you can see it. It's not hidden. But there are some people who have secret sins, sins that are hidden, and they want to keep it that way. They don't want to come clean about it. They want to keep it secret. And we see this on many occasions in the Bible. Just, just for example, we, uh, one example of secret sin is early on the, in the Scriptures, the first ever murder in human history was when Cain murdered his brother Abel and he took him out into a remote place where no one is around and killed him. And then when he was confronted about it, he acted as though he had no idea. In the days of Joshua, a man named Achan stole some expensive goods that God had commanded the Israelites to destroy. Achan stole them and hid them in his tent, buried them in his tent, and only he and his family knew about it. It was a secret sin. In the New Testament, probably maybe the most well-known or renowned is the sin of Judas Iscariot, who was a thief, and he was actually stealing from Jesus and the disciples. And the other 11 disciples had no idea he was doing it. It was a secret sin. Or how about in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira pretended to be more generous than they actually were, and when confronted about it, They lied, trying to keep it hidden, trying to keep their sin secret. Now, in each of these examples, they all have at least two things in common. First of all, they all had sinned and tried to hide it. They tried to keep it. They didn't want to come clean about it. Secondly, uh, none of them were better off for trying to hide it. It didn't work out. It didn't turn out to be a good thing that they kept it secret. And in fact, we'll see today, it never is. It's never a good plan. It never turns out well when you try to keep your sins secret, when you try to hide them. In fact, 
every day that you harbor secret sins in your life, that every day that goes by that you don't deal with them, that you don't come clean with about your sins, you are incurring on yourself soul-deadening effects that you may not even notice. You say, well, what soul-deadening effects might I be incurring? Well, one soul-deadening effect of secret sins is a seared conscience. One pastor put it this way. I, heard, I thought this is helpful. He said, when we continue in secret sins, it's like we, we rub raw our conscience so that we, we no longer feel. And you you've maybe have experienced that. You don't feel as bad about it as maybe you once did. Secret sins sear the conscious and make our hearts harden. That's why the Bible says, uh, says to us, if, if today you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. Don't persist in that path. Secret sins sear your conscience. Secret sins sabotage fellowship with others because you've, you're always there's always a part of you that you want to, that you're trying to keep hidden. It's remarkable. You can be, you can be surrounded by all kinds of other believers as a Christian, and yet you can feel, feel so very alone because you're hiding something. Secret sins sear the conscience, sabotage fellowship. They also separate us from our friendship with God. Our life is all about having a relationship with God. That's why we're spending time in this series at the start of the year on renewing our relationship with God. When you harbor secret sins, it drives a wedge in the relationship that you are supposed to be enjoying with God. Think, for example, of Adam and Eve when they sinned in the Garden of Eden. God came looking for them to have fellowship with them. And what did Adam and Eve do? They ran and hid. They tried to avoid God. I wonder how many of you are in that place today. You're harboring secret sins. You haven't dealt with it. You're trying to hide it and keep it out of you. How's that working in terms of your intimacy with God? Are you feeling the warmth of God? Are you enjoying the peace of his presence? Are you walking in blessed assurance? If you're harboring secret sins, this, these are not likely things that you are at all experiencing. And if you are, you might be fooling yourself. Secret sins separate us from friendship with God. Secret sins sap our spiritual power. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 21, he says, If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, useful to the master. You see, as long as we harbor secret sin and don't deal with it, it makes us ineffective in service for God. It makes us unfruitful. It impedes what God wants to do through you. It impedes what God wants to do in our church. And here's the thing. Here's, here's what's on my heart this morning. I, I think that God wants to do good things. I think that God wants to do great things through our church here at Arendale. He's got plans and purposes for you and me, for us as a church, but he's got to get the junk out of the way first. And if you and I don't respond here, we could really miss out on some amazing, uh, uh, amazing opportunities to have an eternal impact on people's lives, on our community, on our city, on our region. We can really miss out if we don't deal with secret sin because secret sin sap spiritual power. If we continue ignoring the promptings of the Holy Spirit, if you continue ignoring the promptings of the Spirit to come clean about your sin, your secret sin, you'll find yourself wasting your life and missing out on the purpose that God has for you. Now, you don't want that, do you? 
I don't want that. And I don't think you want that either. Well, today's sermon is all about getting out of the rut of secret sins, helping you address secret sins in your life. Really, at the end of the day, helping you to come clean and to no longer walk in the darkness, but instead to walk in the light. Now, I'm going to warn you right up front, this may not be easy. In fact, one of the reasons that you probably are hiding that sin and trying to keep it secret is that you suspect that coming clean will be a painful experience, and I can't guarantee you that it won't. You may be concerned that it's going to be costly. It may cost you, and um, it, it may indeed cost you. It's very likely going to be embarrassing in some cases, perhaps humbling and humiliating. It may, that may be true and may be worse than I can imagine, the experience of coming clean about your secret sin. But loved one, let me just tell you up front that when you do, you are choosing to walk in freedom. And you are stepping into a place where now God can use you and make you fruitful and do in you and through you beyond all that you could have ever imagined. If you will come clean, if you will address the secret sins in your life, think of it, no more hiding, no more pretending, no more lurking in the shadows, but instead walking in the light. Isn't that what you want? I think it's what many of us need. So, Let's get to the scriptures. And today I'm going to show you uh, three truths about secret sins that when you understand them and apply them, internalize them in your life, I think that these truths will help you get out of the rut of being in secret sin to enable you to walk in the light. Our scripture text is in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, and it is the famous story of, well, King David and his secret sin, sin that he committed that he tried to hide, he tried to keep secret. It all started one fateful afternoon in the spring when King David laid eyes on a very beautiful woman named Bathsheba. Bathsheba was not only very beautiful, she was also very married married to a man named Uriah, who was a loyal soldier in David's army. But that fact didn't stop David from thinking that he might like to be intimate with her. And in the knowledge that her husband was far away at war in his own troops, he lusted after her and asked his servants about her. And the next thing you know, he summoned her to his palace for a private audience. And it wasn't long before one thing led to another and he slept with her. Now, the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 11, verse 4, that after they had, he had slept with her, it says the end of verse 4, then she returned to her house. You say, why are you reading that little sentence to us, Ross? Well, because there it is. It happened, and it was over with. And I'm sure at this point, you know, David, he had his moment of passion. He'd had his thrill. His fleshly urges had been gratified and satisfied. And um, probably at this point, he's feeling like some of you feel right now, pretty guilty pretty ashamed of himself, but at least nobody knew. At least it was a secret. And he would do everything he could to make sure it stayed this way. And as far as he knew, there was no reason it wouldn't stay secret. Sure, he might see Bathsheba out and about or at functions with uh, soldiers and their wives, maybe, and they would sort of exchange a knowing glance to one another. But he knew, Bathsheba knew, no one else knew, and so help him, no one else was ever going to know. But 
as you may have discovered in your life, sin has a way of revealing itself, doesn't it? And in verse 5, everything began to change. It says, and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Now David's got a problem. He's got a, he's got a real problem on his hands. I mean, everybody knows. It's only a matter of time before, before she starts showing. And everybody knows it can't possibly be Uriah. It can't possibly be Uriah as the father because Uriah has been away for a long time at war. Somebody's the father. Can't be Uriah. And David knows it's only going to be a matter of time before people start figuring out who that somebody might be. So he's got to think fast. And he comes up with a plan. Verse 6 tells us, so David sent word to Joab. Joab was his general, the general of his army. David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. Now, even if you don't know this story, you can see where this is going, right? David summons Uriah back to the capital and it says, and Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah, verse 7, when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Now, I just got to pause here and say that, and I, I don't know, this is just me thinking, Uriah, for Uriah, this has got to be a super weird meeting. I mean, he is an elite fighter, an elite soldier in David's army, but he's got to be wondering, like, why are you asking me this? Why are you calling me back from the lines to ask me how the war is doing? That's what we have messengers for. And besides, if you really want to know, why aren't you talking to Joab? But of course, Uriah, there in the presence of the king, he's not at liberty to speak his mind. And so he has this conversation with the king. And then the king says in verse 8, of course, you and I know why Uriah is there. Then David said, verse 8, David said to Uriah, go down to the house and wash your feet. What does he want him to do? He wants him to go home have a shower, have some supper, and then have some sex with his wife. So that in the coming day, when that baby's born, the king can send congratulations to Uriah. People will always suppose the baby must take after his mother in terms of looks, and his sin will be secret and hidden. And of course, in many respects, we think the plan's ingenious, right? I mean, what soldier who hasn't been away in the front lines for so long wouldn't want to go home and be with his wife? Well, it turns out that Uriah was one such soldier. Not that he didn't want to be with his wife, but he had another reason. The text tells us that Uriah didn't go home. And when David found out, of course, he was quite agitated and disturbed. So he called Uriah in and asked him, why haven't you gone home? And Uriah told him in verse 11, Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in an open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. David ran into a problem with his plan because it turns out Uriah was a noble man. He's like, how can I possibly go home and be with my wife and enjoy the comforts of home when my comrades, when my, my leader Joab is out there sleeping on the ground and fighting the war? I can't do it. I can't do it. And so David's plan is, well, it's, it's frustrated here. And so he tells Uriah, well, stay another day and, and I'll send you back tomorrow. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? 
panic begins to set in for David. He thinks and, and racks his brain about what he's going to do. How is Uriah is a man of honor? He's noble. How am I going to get him? How can I persuade him to overcome his scruples? An idea. I'll get him drunk. Verse 13. David invited him and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. That'll work, right? No, Uriah was even too noble for that. And in the evening, it says, verse 13, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to the house, to his house, foiled again. Now this is getting serious. David has a sin that he wants to keep hidden. And have you ever experienced this in trying to hide sin, how exhausting it can be and how relentlessly it just keeps wanting to stand up and be noticed? What will David do? Well, in a fit of desperation, David comes up with a savage plan. He wrote a letter to Joab and sent it back sealed with Uriah to the front lines in which he ordered Joab to essentially have Uriah killed. This is what the letter said in verse 15. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. You can imagine how David is rationalizing this, right? Like it's not like I'm not it's not like I'm killing him. I'm just going to put him in a position where he can be killed. Ever notice that when you're trying to hide sin, how you can begin to play games with the truth and take yourself in uh, into a place where you're no longer in touch with reality? He's kidding himself. Well, <clears throat> Joab carries out the order and Uriah is killed. It starts with lust, turns into an affair, and then a cover-up of lying, deceiving, drugging, and now murdering. Do you see how one sin leads to another? And each step of the way, things get darker and darker and darker. Here's the first truth about secret sins that I want you to note. Secret sins take us further in sinfulness than we ever intended and deeper in darkness than we ever thought possible. Secret sins take us further in sinfulness than we ever intended. Do you think that David ever intended to end up murdering Uriah? Do you think he ever intended to find himself in a situation where he's having to sin and sin and sin to cover up an earlier sin? This is, loved ones, this is the nature of, of sin. This is, how it, this is how it goes. You know, laziness in not studying prompts somebody to cheat in order to pass. And then they're caught cheating and they have to come up with a story to try to cover for their cheating. And before they know, they're in a tangled web. Amanda's maybe texting with somebody, with another woman. He has no business uh, texting and certainly not talking about the things that they are talking about. And when his wife asks him about who he's talking to, he says, oh, no one. And what are you talking about? Oh, nothing really. And then he's, he's lying and now he's hiding. And then there's a, a bill that shows up at the home that he's got to explain because he got another cell phone to cover up this relationship that he's having. And he's in a tangled web. You see, this is how it works. Um, secret sins take us further in sinfulness than we ever intended and deeper in darkness 
than we ever thought possible. David went from lust to adultery to deception to murder. Surely in the spring of the year, he never thought to himself, you know, I think I'm going to kill one of my soldiers this spring. Reminds me of a man who one, one day after I preached a sermon on sexual immorality came and told me about his own disastrous experience of harboring secret sexual sin and what it did to him. It all began, uh, it all began with dabbling with some pornography, looking at some things he had no business looking at. And then it was a little bit wasn't enough and it had to be more. And it began to take more of his time and his money and the imagery and the things he was viewing, they weren't satisfying him enough. So it had to get more graphic, more illicit, and eventually became illegal. And before he knew it, he was arrested and imprisoned. Do you think when he first started clicking on those images and looking at those things he had no business looking at, that he thought to himself, you know, I'm going to end up in jail. I'm going to spend two years of my life in the penitentiary. Do you think he thought that? But that's what sin is like, loved ones. Especially secret sin, because sin grows in the dark. Here's the thing. You and I, we, we dabble in sin, and we think that we're in control. We can control this thing, but we're fools, because you don't control sin. Sin controls you. Sin takes us further in sinfulness than we ever intended and deeper in darkness than we ever thought possible. We see that unfolding in the life of David. And maybe you experience that in your life as you harbor secret sin. Have you noticed? Have you ever had to sin in order to cover up the sin that you're trying to cover? Surely you have. And maybe you haven't even noticed that things are getting darker and your heart is getting harder as you drift further and further from the Lord. Sin takes us further in sinfulness than we ever intended, deeper in darkness than we ever thought possible. That's the first truth I want you to notice. And for David, well, he had indeed fallen to a great depth. But hey, at least nobody knows, right? It's a secret, right? Wrong. Somebody did know. Somebody that David had kind of forgotten about or maybe intentionally forgot about tells us at the end of chapter 11, after David had covered up his sin and Uriah was killed, David brought Bathsheba into his home to be his wife. Probably in the community looked like a magnanimous thing in that context to care for her and to provide for her for the remainder of her days. But of course, David was trying to cover, wasn't he? And he, well, it looked like he got away with it except for somebody new. The end of chapter 11. Notice the end of chapter 11, the end of verse 27, the very last sentence of that chapter. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You see, the second truth that you and I need to understand about secret sins is that secret sins are never truly secret. You don't have any secrets. You, you might tell yourself it's hidden, but it's not. You see, David forgot the very thing that you maybe are forgetting, that the Bible says that all things are open and laid bare before the eyes of God to whom we must answer. See, God sees everything that there is, no matter how well you hide it from me or from the elders of the church or from your spouse or from your children or from your friends, no matter how well you hide it from people, you will never hide it from God. You need to understand that secret sins are never truly secret because God knows all about it. God knows all about it. That was David's experience, and he found out about that in a very profound way. 
God sent to him the prophet Nathan. Now that's the last person you want to see when you're trying to hide sin, right? The preacher showing up at your house. Well, that's what happened. And Nathan shows up, chapter 12, verse 11, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. It probably, uh, it might seem to us like this is the worst thing that could happen. But as you're going to see, it was the best thing that could happen as far as David was concerned. Well, Nathan comes to, to David and he tells him a story. He doesn't get in his face about his sin directly. He tells him a story. He says, David, I got to tell you about something. There's two men. One man is an incredibly rich man who's got all kinds of money and herds and flocks of sheep, all kinds. And there's a second man who's incredibly poor. The most prized possession he has is one single solitary lamb. But oh, he loves that lamb. You should see it, David. It's like the lamb is one of his own kids. The lamb sits at the table with the family. The lamb drinks out of his cup, eats off his plate. The lamb goes to all the kids' school, plays with them. He's in all the Christmas card pictures. It's You should see it, David. It's just the little lamb sleeps in the bed with the children. He's just part of it. They just love the lamb. They sing songs to it, songs about it. So precious to him. Well, the rich man had a visitor the other day. When the visitor came, Nathan tells David, when the visitor came, the rich man wanted to prepare a feast. But instead of taking a sheep from his own many flocks, he went and stole the poor man's little precious lamb and brought it over, cooked it on the barbecue and fed it to his guests. Now, David, the Bible says David became irate. He became incredibly angry. In fact, uh, 2 Samuel 12, if you look at 2 Samuel 12, verse 5, it says, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. This is David. This is his sense of righteousness, right? This is wrong. You don't do this. Somebody who is wealthy, who's been blessed materially by God, to go and take some, from someone who's poor, the one precious prize business they have, that's, that's a wicked thing. He's outraged by this. He deserves to die. Verse 6, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man, David. I'm talking about you. You're the rich man in the story. Thus says the Lord, verse 7, the God of Israel, I anointed you over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. He's called out, isn't he? He's caught. You see, the reality is, is that his secret sins are never truly secret. God knows all about it. And friend, I think you need to disabuse yourself of the notion that your sins are even hidden. God sees and God is displeased. And maybe today God in his kindness is coming to you and extending to you an opportunity to get out of that rut of secret sin with this sermon. Like maybe today I'm Nathan coming to you and saying it's time to come clean. Psalm 90 verse 8 says about God, or says, you have set our iniquities before you. It says of God, right? Of God, you have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins are in the light of your presence. 
You, in other words, you see it. You see it. God knows everything, and he knows your so-called secret sins. Paul says that one day he will expose all secret sins. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, he says that God will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will expose the purposes of the heart. You see, you might think it's secret, but you actually don't have any secrets. Secret sins are never truly secret. Spurgeon says that your sin is photographed in high heaven. The deed when it was done was photographed upon the sky. Oh, what fools men are to think they can do anything in secret. Secret sins are never truly secret because God knows all about it. And you know who else knows all about it? You know all about it too, don't you? David knew all about it. You know, as you read the text up until the time when Nathan comes, it's, we're given the impression that he's doing his best to keep up appearances. But the Bible tells us that on the inside, David was dying inside. I'm just turning in my Bible here to Psalm 32 because I want to read to you a quote from this psalm that David wrote. It's a poem about this whole season in his life when he had kept his sins secret and didn't come clean. It says this, he says in Psalm 32, verse 3, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Do you know what that's like? I suspect there's some of you do, trying to hide the sin and not coming clean, not dealing with it. You know what it is to quietly groan all day long. You maybe smile and laugh and you're trying to keep up a look. You're trying to keep up an appearance, but on the inside, you're dying because you're hiding something that needs to be dealt with, but you won't deal with it. You're trying to keep it secret, trying to keep it hidden. David says, I was wasting away through my groaning all day long. He says, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. You know what it is to have God's heavy hand upon you? You're going through the motions with the church people, but between you and God, there's an issue that needs to be dealt with and you're not dealing with it. But God knows all about it and you know all about it. And it's killing you on the inside. I know what this is like. I've been there. I've told you many times my story and the, uh, the significant major turning point in my life was when I finally came clean about secret sin. I'm going to tell you, I, I know well what some of you know well, the misery that maybe you are going through right now of trying to hide that which you really cannot hide because God knows all about it and you know all about it. Let me tell you something else. Really, truly, it's only a matter of time before others are going to know about it too. Because the reality is, is that God has a way of exposing secret sins. Just like he did in David's life, he sent a messenger his way. God, has, God can move heaven and earth to expose secret sins. Reminds me of a, a, a man I know whose problem with pornography was exposed before his whole family, a family gathering, when somebody in the family opened up his laptop computer, presumably to look up something, and there on the screen was an illicit image that he'd been viewing before the family came. There for all to see. I know another man who was caught in an adulterous affair when he thought he was meeting in secret with his mistress, but others who knew him and his wife saw them getting meeting together. I think of even in... Uh, in our current context, 
I think of uh, well-known, famous Christian leaders who are of late, seems especially, being outed, being exposed. Think of one well-known pastor being exposed through a, a secret recording, a hot mic exposing um, some behavior that had been behind closed doors is now all over the internet for everybody to hear his abusive and reprehensible way of speaking to people. I think of another well-known, well-loved Christian leader whose deviant sexual behavior is now being written about and talked about, and the ministry he once led is teetering on utter disaster and closing. Friends, here's the thing. God knows all about it, and it's only a matter of time before others are going to know about it, too. God has a way of exposing secret sin. God has a means of, he has ways of, of exposing it, and I'm just asking you, why would you wait for the day when he exposes it? Like, why would you keep on waiting? Why, why would you wait for the end? Why would you, and even if you can somehow keep it hidden from everybody, why would you wait to the end when you stand in judgment? Surely you don't want it to be, to be dealing with it then. Would you spend this life, really? Would you spend this life hiding and avoiding God? Would you really waste this life missing opportunities? You've got one life, one shot at this life, one shot. Would you really spend it hiding in the shadows, keeping secrets in the darkness? When God knows, and you know, it's only a matter of time before others will know, would you really go about playing at religion when the judge, the true judge, the one whose, matter, whose opinion really matters, already sees right through it? It's a fool's errand to try to hide your sin. So friend, why not come clean? Because not only are you not able to hide it, not only are secret sins never truly secret, but here's the thing. Here's the third thing I want to, to hear, and it's maybe the most important is that there is great grace for those who come clean. There is great grace for those who come clean. This is the third truth about secret sin I want you to know, that when you come clean before God, when you confess your sins truly, when you deal with it biblically, there is great grace from God. That was David's experience. Look at verse 13. David, after hearing this story and then realizing the story was actually about him, he was broken, and he said these simple, sincere words. He said, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. There is a line for you to use today, loved one, to come out of the shadows, come out of the darkness, and say it. I have sinned against the Lord. Say it to God in prayer. And don't just say it to God in prayer. You also say it to the person who, or the people who've been directly affected by your sin. It does a soul good to even say it in the fellowship of trusted believers who care for you, who love you. I have sinned. You notice that David didn't ask Nathan to leave the room. Can you leave the room a minute? I got to say a prayer here. No, he said it openly before God and before Nathan the prophet, I have sinned against the Lord. With those words, friends, a 1,000-pound weight fell from the shoulders of David. A burden in his heart began to, that the hardness of his heart began to melt as he stepped out of the darkness into light. David confessed his sin and he owned what God exposed. And wonderfully, not only that, look at what Nathan said next. When David said, uh, when David said, I have sinned against the Lord, verse 13, then it says, and Nathan said to David, 
The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. That is the banner that flies over the life of every Christian. The Lord has put away your sin. You know, David didn't understand this nearly as well as you and I understand this now, this side of the cross. We've seen how it is that God put away David's sin. We see how it is that God can put away our sin, not by ignoring it, not by pretending it never happened. That's what sinners do. That's not what God does. God dealt with our sin. He judged our sin through the cross of Christ. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. When Jesus died on the cross, he took upon himself the penalty for our sin so that our sin can be forgiven and that God could say to you, just like he said through the prophet Nathan to David, I have put away your sin. You shall not die. There is great Great grace for those who come clean. You can anticipate restored fellowship with God. Don't you want that? You want to be close to God, don't you? You want to, you want to live. You want to have abundant life, don't you, dear Christian? You, you want restored to you the joy of your salvation. It will come when you confess your sins to him, when you come clean with what it is you're trying to keep hidden. Note that being caught is a gracious act of God. God exposes David in order to restore him. God is maybe exposing you today, not to push you down, but instead to lift you up. He calls you out to draw you near. So you think, some of you think right now that the worst thing that could ever happen is that your sins would be exposed. I'm here to tell you that the best thing that could happen is for your sins to be exposed, for you to come clean, for you to finally surrender and agree with what it is that God is telling you. And you, frankly, already know that you've sinned against the Lord. The Bible says, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You see, there are two roads set before you today. One, of keeping your sin hidden and trying to carry on the covering of it. Nothing good will come from that. There's no good future in hiding your sins. On the other hand, there is great grace. Great grace when we confess it. The Bible says when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us because of Jesus and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You say, okay, what's involved in coming clean? Four things. Firstly, firstly and foremostly and most critically, come clean by confessing your sin to God. Confess it to God. Admit it to Him. Acknowledge it to Him. Sincerely, truly, tell Him, I have sinned against you. Secondly, come clean by confessing your sin to those who are directly affected by your sin. It could be your spouse, your children. Maybe it's your employer, your boss. Maybe it's a friend, a neighbor. Well, who is it who's directly affected by your sin? You need to come clean by confessing it to them. You say, well, this is the part that scares me. I understand that. 
but it's not nearly as scary as continuing hiding it, is it? When the word of God says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. And surely whatever you fear about coming clean is nothing compared to what you ought to fear about continuing to try to hide it in light of the word of God. Come clean by confessing your sin. Remember, there's joy on the other side. Come clean by confessing your sin to those who are directly affected. Four, third, sorry, third, come clean by making restitution where needed or where possible. Maybe there's, maybe you got to pay it back. Maybe there's some time that you've got to put in now. Maybe there's some repairs you've got to help with or to do. Come clean by making restitution where needed or where possible. Fourth, come clean by doing things differently. By doing things differently, I mean things like doing things differently so that you don't get back down this road again. If you're going to get out of this rut, you got to get out of this rut and find a new groove in which to walk for the Lord. That may involve intentionally getting into fellowship now with others and speaking a little more openly, a little less guardedly about what's really going on in your heart. The Bible tells us, Galatians 6, that we ought to confess our sins to one another, not because we can forgive one another, but because we can minister to one another. Sin grows in the dark, but as we bring our sins into the open, we expose them to the light, and we're more likely to get out of the rut of secret sins. Come clean by doing things differently, having real fellowship, confessing your sins to others, being open and humble. I'm in a, a men's discipleship group or something that we we do now as a habit is we have some accountability time where we ask each other direct questions about what's going on in our lives. And the last question we ask is, have you lied about any of your answers today? Maybe you could benefit from something like that. There are mature, godly people in our church who would be honored to walk with you in that regard. You may need to do things differently by getting pastoral help. Maybe you need to talk about these things that you're wrestling with. You need some scripture. You need some teaching to show you how you can walk a new path. The point is, is if you're going to come clean, start by confessing it to God, confessing your sins to those who are directly affected by your sins. Come clean by making restitution where needed and where possible. And then come clean by doing things differently, getting out of the rut. Because there is great grace for those who come clean. Now, I should say this, I can't promise you that things are going to go smoothly or that all's going to go well when you come clean. In David's case, Nathan had some hard news for him. There is going to be consequences for David's sin. We don't sin in a vacuum. Sin often has consequences. I, I can't assure you, I can't promise you that you won't get fired or demoted I can't guarantee you that your spouse is not going to get incredibly angry with you. I can't guarantee that you'll even save your marriage. I can't guarantee you that people are not going to think differently about you or look down on you. I can't guarantee that. In fact, all those things may happen, maybe even worse. But isn't it still better to walk in the light where God is calling you to be than to continue hiding in the shadows and the darkness? And besides, just as surely as God has ways of exposing sin, I've seen it many, 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 many times when God is incredibly merciful to those who do come out into the light. I've told you, I think, recently about a, a dear friend of mine who um, had, has secret sin in his life. He had defrauded a company of quite a bit of money, and it was something he knew was morally wrong, ethically wrong, and criminally wrong. And he 
decided one day that he had to come clean. There was no more hiding it, no matter the consequences. And he stepped forward and addressed the issue. And amazingly, wonderfully, the company firstly accepted his apology and agreed to allow him to just make restitution for what he had taken and decided they didn't want to pursue it any further than that. And, I mean, he was relieved to that, that God was so merciful, and we took it as that, as the mercy of God. But also, um, it, it's just another, he was just relieved also to have it off his, off his chest now, to walk in the light. God is often really merciful. But friends, even if it is really hard, even if it goes, even if it goes worse than you're afraid it will, Think of the benefits, the restored fellowship with God, no more hiding, no more evading, the restored fellowship with your church, no more secrets, like real open fellowship with them, the restored opportunities for ministry. Yeah, the world may despise you and the road may be rocky and bumpy and worse than you, than you imagine. But in many ways, truly, ultimately, it would be better than you ever imagined because you'll have the smile of God over you. Far better to suffer humiliation under the smile smile of God than to keep up appearances under his frown. And if you think you'll be better off hiding your sin than coming clean, then you've got a lot to learn about the grace of God and about the holiness of God for that matter. And you've got a lot to learn about being a Christian. A mark of a Christian is that we walk in the light, we come clean, we confess our sins. John says if we say we have no sin, we, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you plan, really, to keep your sins secret? To keep on hiding it? Are you sure you're going to do that? You're a Christian, aren't you? Aren't you? Will you come clean today? Let me help you right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer that I've adapted from David's psalm, Psalm 32. And as I pray this prayer, if you're ready today to step out of the darkness into the light, to come clean about your hidden secret sins, not talking about about sins that you don't know about. The the conclusion of my message is not go digging through and to to try to say, well, maybe I've sinned and I don't know it. Maybe God will lead you through that. No, I'm talking about the sins that you know about it. You know, and God knows. Are you ready today to come clean? If you are, then why don't you say this prayer with me? Oh God, how happy is the person whose sins are forgiven. How happy is the person against whom you count no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. God, all this time I've kept quiet, and it's been a great misery. God, I've been dying on the inside, trying to hide my sin from others and from you. I've been a fool. Day and night, your merciful hand has been heavy upon me, and today I want to surrender. I acknowledge my sin to you. I'm no longer hiding it or avoiding it. God, I have sinned, and I confess my sin to you. And maybe now you would just say what that sin is. In the power that you supply, help me, O God, to come clean, to truly come clean before you now, before others who are directly affected by my sin, to not make excuses, but instead to bear fruit in keeping with true repentance. 
Teach me, God, not to be stubborn, but instead to fly to Jesus. Teach me, Lord, to walk in the light as you are in the light. Teach me the way that I should go, a new way of going. Counsel me with your eye upon me. Let me not be defiant, but humble, obedient, faithful. And I pray in faith that your steadfast love would surround me and that I would rest in Christ alone. Lord, you are my hiding place. Save me from my sin. Save me from myself for the sake of Jesus. Amen.